This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tai Fu. Do you notice anything different about this episode? Maybe like, I don't know, the podcast powering source is no longer what it used to be? Oh, uh, please do explain. Please do elaborate. Well, we did kind of explain this last episode, but this is our first one on Anchor. So not such a big deal. It's probably not actually a big deal at all for pretty much anybody listening. But I had to, you know, put aside about 20 minutes to make the little switch. Went very smoothly. And uh, yeah, so we got this this new source now. Very cool. Just in time for another Canadian's trade. Second week in a row we're discussing a Canadian's trade. And this one came in kind of just under the wire it came in yesterday afternoon and i think it's fair to say we're both less excited about this one than the jake allen one yeah no freaking kidding i mean jake allen uh as i said last week i was all over it i was ecstatic i thought bergman made a smart move uh but this one i mean not so much so let's get into it uh joel edmondson the rights his ufa rights uh for until i think sometime in october uh, the Habs have his rights, and they traded for those rights in exchange for a fifth-round pick from the Carolina Hur- uh, to the Carolina Hurricanes. So, yeah, I mean, just I'm not getting good vibes from this, and I don't think you are either, right? Uh, well, I mean, initially, I I knew Joel Edmondson was a pending UFA, Joel Edmondson was a pending UFA, and a lot of people complain or no doubt every time this happens, this happens like at least once every season where a team will acquire pending UFA for a late draft pick. And I usually when it ends up working out, it's because it's a really good player. Like Keith Yandel, the Panthers acquired his rights. Uh, They paid a, like a pretty, I think it was like a third round or like a conditional pick that turned into a third rounder. And he's been great in his whole tenure there. Ben Bishop is another one. Dallas really needed a goalie. They said, we're going to trade a third rounder for this guy. And it worked out great. But usually when it's more of a, mid to low level player such as Joel Edmondson uh how it'll work is okay first of all Montreal now is desperate to sign him because if you don't sign him then you just gave up a fifth round pick for nothing and the optics on that are terrible and that's one of the big reasons why when teams make trades like this they usually do end up keeping the player but now Joel Edmondson and whoever his his uh agent is I don't know have all the leverage because they know Montreal is going to be desperate to keep him. So that's one of the things that worries me. Like if this were a, not July 1st, but like free agency, uh, you know, opens up, they sign him to a reasonable contract. I'm fine with it as a third pairing defenseman. If the contract isn't outrageous, you were comparing this to Carl Alsner, which I don't see at all. Okay. Well, the thing is, first of all, like you name all those players, right. And uh, where like teams traded for the rights shortly before uh, free agency. And, I mean, just the caliber of those players is so much higher than a fucking third-pairing scrub like Joel Edmondson. And, you know, like, it really feels like you didn't need to give like make this trade because uh, you're giving up a fifth-round pick. And, I mean, really? Really? You're that desperate for Joel Edmondson? Uh, it doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, Bergevin must really love him. And, you know, at that point, that's not great because that means he's probably overvaluing him compared to what the market really is for fucking Joel Edmondson. Uh, 
third pairing defenseman. And so, yeah, you look at like different trades. For example, last year, just last year, we had Kevin Hayes and Philly traded a fifth round pick for him. Are you telling me that the rights to Kevin Hayes are worth the same as the rights to Joel Edmondson? Uh, I don't buy that for one second. And in terms of, you know, like the potential signing and what this could possibly lead to for Montreal, that's what really worries me the most. Like, honestly, giving up a fifth round pick, I mean, it kind of sucks, but it's really, it doesn't really matter much. Primarily because Montreal has so many picks this year that, you know, at this point it feels like Bergevin has, feels like he has too much and he's just kind of finding ways to get rid of them. But in terms of science, yeah, I, I, I compared it to Cole Arlesner because, man, I don't know. You say you, you, you don't see that kind of potential and it probably, it almost definitely won't reach that level of bad contract uh, that, you know, because Arlesner was, you know, a fucking atrocity. But uh, for Edmondson, I mean, yeah, you said it. The Habs have like no leverage now. Uh, it's just, Edmonton has all the power. They know that the Habs gave up a pick for his rights. And so, you know, at this point, you have to think that they're at least going to be targeting, like, the money that he made last year, which was already high for him. Like, $3 million, I think, was the price he was the contract he was playing under. And, I mean, you really want to be paying $3 million for your bottom pair guy? Because this guy's not playing in the top four. Uh, There's just no space for him. And I think... I don't know. Maybe Bergevin is trying, like, he sees a problem that's not really there, in ter- especially in terms of the left side of the defense. I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine. I mean, you, you, going down the roster, I mean, even the defense core as a whole, really, there's no glaring hole. Can it use some improvements uh, near the bottom in terms of depth? Sure. Uh, but what team couldn't? And there's really no need to spend $3 million. And, and not to mention, probably not going to be a one-year contract too. Uh, when you're UFA, and especially in these weird COVID times, probably going to be looking for some, you know, financial security. And so we're talking about locking up a third-pairing guy for multiple years for $3 million. Doesn't sit right with me at all. And it's the kind of contract where from day one, you're looking at it and you're like, geez. Bad fucking contract. That's going to be an albatross uh, day one and all the way through the contract. I mean, really, there's there's no need for a guy like Joel Edmonton. is my big problem here. And there's no need to lock him up, give him the money that he asked for. And at this point, since you did give up that draft pick, you're probably going to end up doing just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting that you bring up Kevin Hayes because that is a, a really good instance. Obviously, he's a much higher caliber player than Joel Edmonton. But last offseason, when the Flyers acquired his rights, that really was an instance of Hayes, you know, using all the leverage he had in that situation and getting what pretty much everyone thought was an outrageous contract. And I think, I mean, it looks okay for the time being since he had a very good season his first year with Philadelphia, but there's no telling how that contract is going to age. I wouldn't bet on it aging particularly well. And the specific thing with Edmonton is, as you say, like, if you want to pull off a deal like this, trading a draft pick for a pending UFA's rights, like, I'm okay with that if it's a higher level UFA. Someone like, I don't know, I'm looking at TJ Brody. Like if they pull off maybe a fourth round pick for TJ Brody, fantastic. But Edmondson, there are so many other players of that caliber that are going to be available, not just this year, but every year. Brendan Dillon, very comparable. Uh, Derek Forbert, maybe not quite as good, but comparable. Uh, Plenty more, plenty more on this list. Ben Hutton, there's another one. And like if you try to sign Edmondson on... October 9th, which is, I think, when free agency opens, and he decides to go somewhere else, then whatever, there are, like, I don't know, at least four or five other comparable players. So that that's what that's what I don't like about this. Yeah, really. I mean, it's there's no need for Joel Edmondson in particular. 
right? Yes. There are like so many different other guys where I'm like, okay, you signed a guy for your bottom pairing in, in free agency. Good for you. But why But why this guy? I mean, like, really? You gave up a pick for him? And so, yeah, looking forward. At this point, uh, I really hope that, you know, the optics don't get to Bergevin's head and he really feels the need to sign this guy. Uh, and uh, I hope he realizes that, yeah, if he's asking for too much money, if he's asking for too many years, uh, you can just let the guy walk. And you gave up a fifth round pick, but you have 11 other picks this year. And really, uh, I mean, it's very, very possible that the optics of like letting giving up a fifth round pick for nothing uh, is better than like giving up a fifth round pick and then overpaying Joel Edmondson and like screwing your cap situation for the next little while uh, because you feel the need to sign Joel Edmondson. I think I really do prefer just like you know take your losses uh, for that stupid decision and. I mean, you burned a fifth-round pick. Oh, well. Yeah, I think also one of the reasons I think Edmonton is particularly appealing to Mark Bergevin is uh, he won a Stanley Cup. And I know sometimes, well, oftentimes, a lot of people will overvalue Stanley Cup pedigree. But him, you know, being, uh, I guess, third-pair defenseman on St. Louis Blues, Jake Allen's teammate also. Now they've acquired two players from that St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup team this offseason in the span of like a week and a half. That's probably one of the reasons why Bergerman targeted him specifically. And, I mean, he d- didn't have great underlying numbers with the Hurricanes this past season, as I've been shown on the TL over the past day or so. But I, I think, like, this does remind me of the Ben Chirot situation from last season. Wouldn't have been happy if they gave up a draft pick to acquire Ben Chirot's rights. But, rights, but just looking at the players themselves, looks like this, I don't know, bottom pair defenseman who, I don't know, doesn't, the, the numbers don't especially shine brightly onto them, but maybe Mark Bergevin does see, you know, some tool set that he thinks fits well with the Canadians. I don't know, because it seems like you're just trying the bench rot thing again here. Like, I, I mentioned this comparison to you yesterday. It feels the same, but maybe bench rot, they really did get lucky. And maybe we shouldn't be waiting on lightning to strike twice. Oh, 100%. I mean, we're like, yeah, bench rot last year. Uh, as I mentioned in our who he scored more for quiz, uh, he had a career year with the Habs. I mean, this is the most points he scored in the season. And, I mean, he was fully a bottom pair defenseman uh, up in, like with the Jets and up until he signed with the Habs. I mean, I, it wasn't a household name at all. And, frankly, it wasn't very good. And, yeah, the Habs got lucky because he did end up, you know, having a great season. And, really, who has a great season the first year to sign a big contract? It doesn't really happen. And is that what you really want to bank on uh, for – Another defenseman. I mean, it just, yeah, it's like, it, you said it right. It kind of sounds like he's hoping that lightning strikes twice uh, with Joel Edmondson. And I like, I don't, I don't think that's a good way to run a team, you know, just hoping that uh, the new guy will fit in seamlessly and have uh, a career year in your system after a year in which he was, you know, you look at those stats, those advanced analytics uh, among the worst defensemen in the league. Uh, I mean, it's just, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't make sense to pay a pick for him. It doesn't make sense to pay market value for him. It doesn't pay. It doesn't make sense to pay what he made last year. Uh, it just Joel Edmondson. It's really a head scratcher because I look at him as a player and I wonder why. Why did you target Joel Edmondson? Is it really that cup pedigree? And if so, I mean that's kind of worrisome because that that he's overvaluing that cup pedigree a hundred percent. And yeah. Joel Edmondson, I just, it's just why is the main question I have because I don't know why 
Mark Bergman is getting him in particular and, and feels the need to give up that pick, not just target him on the first day of free agency, but he feels the need uh, to give up a pick for him. It's just, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, so I think we both agree. The best case scenario here is sign Edmonton to a reasonable contract and he turns out being pretty good. And the worst case scenario is sign Edmonton to a five-year, four million per contract and he ends up being bad. And somewhere in the middle is he walks for nothing and they lose that draft pick, which actually was the 140th pick, just just so everyone knows. That's the pick to keep an eye on for let's see who Carolina is going to get that may turn into their next superstar player. Uh, Actually, even though it is technically the 140th pick, it is the 139th pick in the draft because Arizona's second rounder, which I think would have been 49, was forfeited. But technically, everyone doesn't move up a spot. It's just going to be like 48th pick. All right, you pick a player, 49th pick. Uh, Oh, Arizona forfeited this one onto the 50th pick. So I don't like that. I think they should have just forgot about it. It's a semantics, but it bothers me. Okay, well, firstly, I don't have any beef with that. Uh, We love a little, you know, round two starts at 32nd pick, and then round three starts with a 63rd pick. Uh, Keep it like that. But hey, that's just minor details. Anything else you want to add on this trade in particular? There is another trade that we can move on to. Uh, No. No, I I think we covered our bases pretty well. I mean, we did talk for like, 12, 13 minutes about uh, acquiring a bottom pair pending UFA defenseman. So I think we pretty much covered everything we had to. I guess the next trade we're talking about is the only one that happened this week. The only other one that happened this week was Pittsburgh trading Nick Bugstad with 50% salary retained to Minnesota for a conditional seventh round pick. And Nick Bugstad played 13 games a season, a goal and an assist. And he had as many points this season as he had surgeries so that's kind of the reasons why his value has you know decreased by I don't know a thousand percent or whatever it is over the past season because because I mean he was traded to Pittsburgh about a year and a half ago with Jared McCann for it was like Derek Broussard Riley Sheehan who were both going to be UFAs at the end of that season and like decent draft picks, like a second and a fourth and a fifth or something like that. Like Bugstad had value. He was a really good third line center for the Panthers for a while. I think even like second line center before Trocek really came into his own. And I think he just, you know, never really got into his groove in Pittsburgh, which is kind of the same thing that happened to Broussard, actually. Like it's been a while for them to get a really good third line center since uh, since Nick Benino left. Anyway, uh, yeah, Nick Bugstad is injured now. And I mean, Minnesota... Is I think I was kind of going back and forth on this initially, and I think I've settled on big win for Minnesota, especially because there's that 50% retention, and it does make a big difference. And like I mean, maybe Bugstad is busted, but I think with the conditions on the pick, if he is really that bad, all you lose is cap space, and I don't think a a draft pick would transition if he doesn't meet some certain games or points threshold. And I mean, this is just. Terrible optics for Pittsburgh on on their on their end because I'm thinking about this from the Kapanen trade perspective because when we talked about the Kapanen trade it says I said well it looks like now they're going to need to trade out another forward and I said well Bukestad is probably the odd guy out and I ended up being correct but like could you envision a world where Nick Bukestad gets healthy becomes Minnesota's third line center and is better than Kapanen this year because I definitely could because he has been better than Kapanen in the past. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, this is a guy who's, what, uh, three seasons removed at this point? Or just two seasons removed. 27-2018, he 
he had like 49 points. Uh, and that's a decent depth player. That's a very decent depth player. And, you know, we're talking about uh, the Penguins at this point. They're just trading for, what, $2 million in cap space? They're returning, retaining half of them, this guy. And, I mean, yeah, the optics are terrible. But not just the optics. It's just a bad trade in general. I mean, Bukestad is a nice piece. Is he maybe busted? I mean, there's a very high chance that he is. But even then, I mean, for the wild, to get him for a conditional seventh and $2 million bucks. I mean, I would take that trade in a heartbeat. Uh, this is a guy who, yeah, there's some ceiling on him in terms of uh, potential for a bounce back. And if you got a quality NHL depth player for two million bucks and for a conditional seven, and that condition is that he plays like I think it's like sixty something games. Uh, I mean, that's that's a fantastic trade, and it's a piece that they could abs- I could absolutely see them using. And it seems like they want to make up. They want to make the playoffs next year. Uh, is that too realistic? Maybe they had a good one this year. They had a good season this year, and so you know, you never know. And 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 if, in terms of playoff push, Nick Bustad could absolutely be you know a nice contributor uh, for the Wild. And you know what? He won't be. He won't be a nice contributor for the Penguins. And they're paying him just as much as the Wild are two million dollars. And I mean, they're just down another piece. They're supposed to be contending. Uh, they wanna they wanna win another cup with Crosby and Malkin, but. I mean, yeah, it remains to be seen. What do they do with this cap space? But really, what can you do with $2 million in cap space? Uh, it's just, it's kind of puzzling. I mean, yeah, Bukestad was the guy out, the odd guy out, but you got nothing for him. You got nothing for him. Like you will, it is very likely that you will get literally nothing for, for Nick Bukestad other than just those $2 million in cap space. And so, yeah, just, just, it really looks like a horrendous trade for Jim Rutherford. And that's two in a row. Uh, the captain and trade, neither of us really liked it for him. And uh, this one, don't don't like it either. I have a prediction uh, whenever for whenever next season is. And that, that prediction is that Minnesota will trade Nick Bugstad at the deadline to some team and get like a second round pick for him. And then that Bugstad's new team will beat the Penguins in the first round. That's my prediction. Whether it's, I don't know, the Islanders or the Capitals, whoever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a solid prediction in terms of like, this guy could absolutely be a nice piece to, that you can move and get some nice assets for at the deadline because, yeah, he's only one year left on this deal. You're telling me the Penguins couldn't eat these $2 million in, in, in cap space that they sent him off for? I mean, sure, man, sure. But, yeah, that's I mean, that's, that's a pretty decent prediction, actually. Uh, I don't know about that score, uh, you know, beating the Penguins. That's the hot take. But in terms of the wild trading him at the deadline, I mean, that's... I could absolutely see that happening, and 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 I could absolutely see him getting flipped for more than you know a conditional fucking seven. Yeah, it's kind of like I mean we, it looks a little like the Patrick Marlowe thing. I don't know. I just like draw that comparison because some people like some of the initial reaction I saw when people didn't know that Pittsburgh was retaining it on Bukesad was, wow, they didn't even have to sweeten the pot to get rid of this guy, and what I mean that fifty percent retention does change the story a little bit. But I mean, also like, I, I guess I could pull up Pittsburgh's cap situation, see what it's looking like for them, because it's just like I don't know. You acquire a captain whose cap is three point two million, and now you make this desperate cap move to shed off two million. It's just like, why didn't you just not acquire a captain in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, what is as you said earlier? What's the is there such a huge drop off? Between like an average Nick Bukestad season and an average Kapanen season, I mean, if if no. Bukestad manages to be healthy, there's really not that much of a jump. And on one hand, you got rid of Bukestad 
for conditional seven. That's literally the least you can you can get for a guy in terms of like <laughs> in terms considerations. of like, future considerations, like like conditional, but seventh round pick. That's uh, that's so close to nothing. And then you're talking about giving up. I mean, we talked about that trade, Hollander, a first round pick that's in the middle, like a top 15 first round pick, I think it was. Uh, uh-huh. And it's just, yeah. Is it really? You're telling me the gap between Bukestad and Kapanen is the gap between Hollander and a first and a conditional seventh? Oh boy, that's no, that's that's facetious. That's that's outrageous. Um, and I mean, Jim Maybe Rutherford should, is on something. Yeah. Maybe we should mention like we didn't really watch Bukestad this season. We didn't. We, I don't know much about his surgeries or his injury projection, but maybe he is totally busted i don't i'll look up, i'll look up because i want to know now nick bukestad surgeries uh so yeah out for season after after well I, undisclosed injury all right that makes sense but some people do seem to think that like there's a distinct chance that he he's never going to be able to play in the nhl ever again so i assume well no, i assume i know that that's why his value is so torpedoed and that is where the big value disparity comes in between Captain and Bukestad. But, I mean, as we say, Minnesota wouldn't acquire him if there weren't a chance that he bounces back. And if there's a chance he bounces back, there's a chance he returns to form, which might even be as valuable as Kasperi Kapanen, maybe even a little more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so it's so hopefully Bukestad, uh, for the sake of, you know, his health, but also, you know, laughing at the Penguins is, is pretty fun. Uh, and so... Yeah, for both of those reasons, hopefully he gets healthy, has a nice season for the Wild, and, you know, they flip him for, let's say, a first-round pick at the trade deadline because he's that good. And, you know, mm-hmm. that would... We, we, you know, I really like those, uh, you know, those, those flip picks uh, where, like, a, guy, a, team takes, t- a team takes a guy for low cost and then flips him for way more. And like Marco Scandella. Looks exactly like Marco Scandella. Uh, if the Wild can pull off a Marco Scandella here... I mean, I love that kind of situation. First of all, especially when the house pull it off, but also just in general. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of jokes. It's kind of jokes. And uh, it's it's one of my favorite trade scenarios. The Marco Scandella. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, shout out to the Wild. To be fair, yeah? I don't think I, Marco Scandella, that maneuvering of assets was great. But I think if we are to name that flipping style, it must go to the royal of all flips, which was San Jose trading Mike Hoffman a few hours after acquiring, acquiring him from the Senators. That was amazing. Ottawa didn't want to send him to the division, so they gave him to San Jose for basically nothing. And San Jose immediately turns around and trades him to Florida for some decent decent value. So which is of course in Ottawa's division back uh, back about yeah. 2 years ago. So I think I think the Hoffman or the the Doug Wilson uh, whatever you want to call it I think that trade or those trades is where the namesake should go. Uh I think we're a house podcast over here and so I think we should name it after the house. And so I think the Hoffman trade and that magic sorcery that Doug Wilson pulled off like before the Scandella trade even happened retroactively we can slap the Scandella tag on it. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Doug Wilson for pulling off a Scandella before it was hip <laughs> and cool and trendy. Uh, so yeah, all right. All right, what, uh, if we, so, what if we mix the names and call it the Doug Scandella? Oh, that's fucking terrible. That's an atrocious name. The Doug um, Scandella trade? The, yo, Doug Scandella. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a hockey player from the 70s right there. Uh, and uh, so, all right. 
so is that wrap it up for uh, the the two tr- the two trades? Any any other last parting shots at the Penguins you want to take? Uh, nah, I think that's good for those two trades. It's going to be exciting as the playoffs close it close down in a couple of weeks, and we're going to see a big ramp up on on trades, and we won't be able to talk about all the Bugstad for a seventh deals that will probably go down. So let's enjoy this while we can, diving in on the the relatively small deals. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, moving on, I guess we'll do the playoffs uh, and how they've been going down. We have the conference finals, uh, and let's start with the East. So Tampa Bay, New York. I mean, it's two to one right now, and yeah, I I I think it's it's going as expected right now. I expected New York would probably take one of the first three games, but I mean, Tampa's been the best better team uh, over the last three, uh, even with you know points been injured, uh, Kalorn got suspended. And but I still think that they'll take this series pretty handily, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think like when you just look at it from the angle that the Islanders needed Tampa to, well, they were already down Stamkos, and they needed them to also be down Braden Point and Alex Kalorn to just barely win. Like and and Tampa, I mean, like they came back in that third period. They were down three to one at the second intermission. They tied it three three. I thought Tampa was going to win that game at that point. They had the, the momentum, but I mean. uh I think it was Brock Nelson ended up with a winning goal. Then, of course, there, there was that whole, like, on the the empty net goal that Pasha scored, Kucherov was, like, slashing him, being a little dirty. I mean, just like pretty much everyone else, I don't like that stuff. That's one of the reasons I think that penalties should... Well, maybe I was going to say, like, what I normally think with it is kind of a different discussion altogether, but, like, about how penalties should, like, if you get a, I don't know, a minor penalty with 20 seconds left in the game, then the game should then become a minute and 40 seconds longer to play out that entire penalty. But I guess in the in the playoffs, maybe the, the team who drew the penalty should get to decide if they want that or if they want to carry over to the next game. That'd be an interesting thing. But I guess talking about this series, I would predict... I don't know what when points coming back. If he is back, uh, like next game, I would probably say Tampa and five. I think they would take the next two. If he ta- if he's off for a little longer, then then Tampa and six will be my prediction. Yeah, going back to the penalty thing, that penalty idea of like carry over to the next game. I had that idea when I was like nine years old, like watching t- watching a Habs game, and then you know Habs take a penalty, and I'm like, is this gonna carry over? Should this carry over to the next time they play the Sabers? Uh, and so, you know, maybe something gets there for the league. That'd be kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's just... It's oh, just I thought you were going to make fun of the idea and roast it because you're like, I had this when I was a stupid child and now here you are thinking it's good. Well, no, what I'm saying is, wow, even a, even a stupid child could think of this. So maybe uh, we're on to something here. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know what else to add in terms of the series. I mean, it's just Tampa's better team. Uh, they've been hit by some unfortunate injuries. But still, they're still the better team. I mean, as you said, that game, uh, that game three, where yeah, they almost came back. I thought they were going to win. They had all the momentum, and then you know they they kind of had a brain fart defensively that led to the Brock Nelson goal. And so yeah, I mean, uh, just New York, the Islanders, uh, they just, I mean, their system worked up until now, but it's just Tampa's such on, on such another level in terms of talent, but also just the way they play. And in terms of the dirty Kucherov stuff. I mean, he doesn't need to do that. The Lightning don't need to play that kind of style to win. Uh, if you look at the first two games, uh, they did it without it. And I think uh, when you play like that, you're kind of playing into the Islander style of really slowing things down, things get chippy. And so, you know, if I'm Tampa, I'd probably try to stay away from that kind of bullshit 
because not only is it like not good for the game, it's dirty and all that, but also it really doesn't fit into their playing style of, you know, skill and all that. And so, but yeah, if they can manage to stay, and, and they've already, they've already been undisciplined. I mean, they already take a bunch of stupid penalties every game and you don't need to take any more. Uh, you're just giving the Islanders uh, a chance to, you know, they are the, they're under, they are the underdog, giving them opportunities to steal some games. And if you're Tampa, I mean, you know, you're the better team. Why are you giving them that kind of opportunity? It doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, maybe Kucherov was frustrated uh, because you know the Islanders about to win, but it just doesn't make sense to me. And so, yeah, I would, I would, I would stay away from that uh, if I'm Tampa. And if and if they do manage, then I think they should take it. Yeah, I was prepared actually after a couple nights ago when Tampa Bay and the Islanders were tied one-one late in Game Two, and Kucherov scored with about eight or nine seconds left. Tampa wins the game. I was prepared at that point thinking ahead to this this episode to be if Tampa had won game three to be like yeah we talked about how you know the underdog needs to win the close games and the Islanders have been pretty good at that up until now uh well, actually no that's not necessarily true the Flyers won all their games in overtime the last round but anyway like I was prepared if Tampa had a three nothing lead now then that game two where they were very close to overtime but they blew it like that's the turning point and it's still you know very it might end up that way uh, no matter when this series ends, if Tampa wins, that's the game I think the Islanders look at and think we were so close to getting to a coin flip overtime and we blew it. 100%. Because that's the, that game, game two, was one where they it w- the Islanders set the pace of the game in terms of, you know, it was low event hockey. It was 1-1. You just look at the score, look at the score until there were like some, some like eight odd seconds left. And yeah, if you're the underdog, which the Islanders absolutely are, you need to win that game. And if the Lightning do eventually win, that's, yeah, that's the, you know, the turning point of the series because absolutely. I mean, that's a backbreaker right there. You play all game, you play your style all game, and with 10 seconds left, the, they, they, they score the winning goal. And so, yeah, game two is one that, you know, I think a lot of us will point to in terms of uh, diagnosing where the Islanders went wrong and why they do end up losing the series. Yeah. Isn't it amazing with Tampa Bay? Like, you have Steven Stamkos, who's the top-line center, perennial, uh, you know, he scores a lot of goals. He's won Rocket Richard trophies. Then Braden Point makes the NHL. It's like, all right, Braden, you're our second-line center. And he's like, hmm, how about instead of that, I'll just be better than Steven Stamkos and become the first-line center. And then when you have these two first-line centers, both not playing because of injury, now you have Anthony Sorelli, who apparently is your third-line center. Now, like, hmm, why don't I just... I can be a first-line center, too, while they're gone. I can do it just fine. Yeah, I mean, look, this team is absolutely stacked. Sorelli's uh, a guy uh, who... Got some fucking sucky considerations, didn't he? And so, yeah, that team is just completely ridiculous, especially down the middle. Absolutely. Two first-line centers and a guy in Sorelli who, you know, second-line center. Uh, absolutely for that guy. Uh, and, you know, completely underrated. And you look at their contract and you're like, Jesus Christ, how did they manage to fit them all into the cap? Uh, I, I guess it's the lack of attacks, maybe. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, look, look at point contract, right? I think he's like paid like what? Six million bucks, seven million bucks. That's a yeah, point signed. Uh, point was an RFA this past offseason. He signed it two years, six point seven five million per. So I mean, you know, people were saying, oh, he's gonna get the the Marner deal, and then he signed a bridge just like everyone else, which is ridiculous. Sorelli though, still on his ELC for now. Actually, he is going to be an RFA in like a month. So I mean, offer sheet target. Hmm, I don't know if he wants to explore that route. Tampa might have a hard time matching, but. To be honest, I don't see why he would want to leave the Lightning. Yeah, no. If the, hey, 
Montreal did it last year with Ajo. Well, maybe take a look at Sorelli this time around. But, I mean, yeah, it just seems like they're committed. It seems like they've bought into that team, all the players. Uh, they've bought into John Cooper's system, and they've bought into that brand of hockey, and they've bought into taking discounts so that they can build a complete powerhouse. And it works for them. I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous because that team is so stacked on paper. And then when they play, they're just as good. Yeah, it's there, it really seems like their cup to lose at this point. We both... We both called it. Uh, I think they were my actually. I think they were my preseason Stanley Cup prediction, as well as my pre-playoff Stanley Cup prediction. And I am still extremely confident in that one. Probably more confident than I ever have been. Yeah, especially uh, check out this segue uh, when you look at who's winning in the West right now. Uh, and and we talk about uh, underdogs winning the close games and needing to win the close games. Well, fucking look what Dallas has done. Over the last four games, they are winning the series three to one. As crazy as it is, uh, Vegas on the brink of elimination already. Kind of seems like it happened. Like you blink and you miss it. And all of a sudden, they're down three one. Uh, this is a series where Kudobin has been ridiculous. Uh, if they do win the cup, I mean, this guy's probably going to win the con smite. Uh, and yeah. I mean, well, who else? Who else on Dallas? Haskinen. You know, you're you're Haskinen for sure. Okay. Haskinen's yeah, yeah. the, the slam dunk for me. Okay, for you. But, like, you look at the headlines. I guess we'll see what would happen then... in the rest of the series in the Stanley Cup final. Maybe my opinion right. will change. But t- to this right, point, Haskinen would be my pick for Dallas. Okay. But I'm sure if you ask the voters, uh, a lot of them would end up picking Groen because he's been fantastic over the last little stretch. And, I mean, because Vegas has been dominant. He's been the better team. All four games, basically. Uh, Dallas is yet to outshoot Vegas in four games, despite winning three to one. I mean, you look at the last two games, they were completely outshot. I think they managed 20 shots in both of them. And then, uh, Vegas had like high thirties. And so, yeah, the shot differential is crazy, but Dallas winning these one goal games, they won the first one, one, nothing, right. They won their, they won game three in overtime. And then just last night, uh, yeah, I mean, they managed to eke another one out. And I guess, I guess this is their, this is their playing style. Uh, it worked against Colorado, and uh, it's really working against Vegas. Jeez. Yeah, when we were talking about the the Islanders Lightning series before it started, we said, "Well, look at the Islanders, the the opponents they've had so far in the playoffs. Florida, not a good team. Washington played terribly. Philadelphia didn't play very well either. And Tampa is a massive massive step up from all of them. And we didn't really look at that from." from Vegas's vantage point because it applies to them too. Chicago shouldn't have been there. Vancouver, the only reason they got past game five was because Thatcher Demko became a Hall of Fame level goalie. And now Dallas is a big step up from both of those teams. And I mean, it's kind of showing like, I, I guess I, maybe we were kind of, all of us were too quick to jump the gun on Vegas being the slam dunk favorite because I mean, Dallas has been pretty good too. And I think, I don't remember, I think it was uh, Jay Fresh on Twitter said, was talking about, everyone's always talking about Vegas, you know, against Dallas and especially against Vancouver last round on how they were so dominant and had so much more shots and high danger scoring chances than their opponent, but that they've been, you know, they've been not scoring up to the expected goals for like a really long time. And maybe that's one of the reasons, like, I don't know, 
like analytics look at them so kindly, but then when they don't perform to that level, people are constantly surprised, even though that by this point we shouldn't be. I know they were all one goal games that they lost and who know you know, with those hockey, so random could have been a sweep by now in either direction, but that's just, that's one little insight. Yeah. It makes you, it really does make you wonder, right? Cause They've run into a couple, you know, quote unquote, brick walls in terms of goaltending. Uh, you know, Thatcher Demko last round, and even even against Crawford, there was, you know, he stole a game from them before they finally finished him off. And now they're facing against Gudoman. And at one point, you gotta wonder, right? Uh, like, is it is this like an, a lucky thing where they're just facing a bunch of really hot goaltenders, or is this a Vegas thing because they just can't seem to finish? And you know, they can't they get all this possession and they play their style of game, but they just can't find the gold. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a very valid question right now at this point. And I mean, yeah, Vegas is top scorers, uh, guys like Smith, Marcia. So, uh, not scoring much. Uh, I mean, they're, they're the guys that are supposed to be scoring and frankly, the whole, they're not they're, They should be carrying the load in terms of, you know, putting the puck in the net and look what they're doing. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of blowy right now. And yeah, you, you just, I don't know. I, it, it might be just running into a hot goaltender and we're overanalyzing things uh, because I, I watch the games and I still feel like Vegas is like the much better team. It's just they, mm-hmm. Dallas manages to shut them down in terms, I don't know, they don't really manage to shut them down. That's the thing. But, you know, Dallas is kind of opportunistic. Kadobin's playing really well and they managed to eke out these wins. I don't look at any of them and think like Dallas was super dominant. Like maybe game one, they really played their style. But aside from that, I mean, like game three and four, I really thought Vegas was the better team outright. Uh, and I don't know. I just think, is it they're just running into another hot goaltender? Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what the, the deal is in Vegas here and, and, and how they managed to find themselves in this hole. It feels like a super long time ago at this point when we were talking during the regular season about how terrible the Western Conference as a whole was in comparison to the East. And now, if Dallas does manage to win the series, make it to the Stanley Cup Final, that seems to be a pretty good embodiment of of that that fact to me. Like, I think I can't think of any team in recent memory that would be so much of a whoa, holy shit! How did we get here? Like, what what are we doing in the Stanley Cup Final? Then, then the Dallas Stars, who started the season like one and eight, and I don't know what did they even do to get better from last season. They they signed Joe Pavelski, I guess, and Corey Perry, and Haskinen took a step forward. But still, I look at this team on paper. I'm like, what's so special about you? Like, I can't tell. I mean, I, I mean you have two pretty good defensemen, uh, good but not great forward group. Anton Hudobin's been really good, but he's you know, Anton Hudobin, and this is not does not look at all like a Stanley Cup final team on paper, and they're one win away. No, they don't look like that one bit. And they kind of remind me of the Islanders, not just in playing style, but like, you know, their roster is kind of ho-hum. Uh, I think their roster is better than the Islanders in terms of talent, but it's kind of ho-hum. And we're talking about predictions. Uh, I think pre-playoffs, I picked I picked them to lose in the first round to Calgary uh, coming off the round robin. And, you know, I was, I was pretty confident in the pick. I was like, this is going to be the upset uh, of round one. And Dallas is going to be flat because they're boring and they – they're nothing exciting in Calgary has scoring. And look at them. Look at that. Uh, Dallas keeps going against teams even better than that, like Colorado. And yeah, they're here. It's weird, isn't it? And I mean, talk about teams that you don't expect uh, to be in the cup final. Imagine if they win the whole thing, they beat Tampa. Uh, that would be completely absurd. And kind of kind of 2020. Uh, pretty, pretty fitting. But uh, 
I mean, if, if this does end up panning out how we think it is, uh, as in Tampa Bay wins against the Islanders and Dallas finds a way to win a fourth game, well, I mean, talk about a lopsided matchup on paper, right? I mean, last year in the finals, Boston was pretty much the the big favorite to beat the Blues, and the Blues ended up winning. So, it, of course, wouldn't be a, a foregone conclusion. No series is. If Dallas does end up winning the Stanley Cup, I'd be happiest for Joe Pavelski. Uh, a, a very, very deserving Ogwax stands for old guy without a cup. Down goes Brown, coined that term. Uh, I don't know. Not no. Besides that, no really great stories on here. I, Cogliano, I guess, kind of in the in the same boat. That'd be pretty cool just for the two of them. But I think it would be a shame to see this era go by of this Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, amazing team and not get their chance. So I wouldn't have a particular rooting interest in that one. Maybe I would. Maybe I would be rooting for the Lightning. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Let's watch after this this discussion. We're already talking about the finals and it's going to end up being Vegas and the Islanders. Oh, you already know. You already know this will be completely, like, invalid uh, by the time we get to next week. But, uh... I mean, it ends up being Vegas, Dallas, uh, not Vegas, Dallas, Tampa Bay, Dallas. Uh, I mean, look, I think the storylines on this on this Lightning team where they're just so stacked, first of all, and also last year where they lost in the first round in that sweep. Uh, it's just, I'll be rooting for them. Let's say, let's say right now, the four teams that they're left, my favorite is Tampa. Uh, I just, I don't know. Out of, I don't, teams don't really deserve the cup, but I think Tampa kind of does, uh, you know, and because their team is just so good. And, you know, mm-hmm. they went through the struggles. They went through the grinder. Uh, they they struggled to start this season even, but uh, they're here now. They're clicking. Best team in the league, I think, right now in terms not just in roster construction, but just in terms of playing. Uh, just they're just hot. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we stand. Uh, all right. Does if that's it on the playoffs, want to talk about the awards of which they're revealing one winner every day? Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, so Matt Dumba won the King Clancy, very deserving winner. I, I wasn't sure if he would since I think the voting took place before the playoffs, but that is definitely the correct choice. Bobby Ryan wins the Bill, Bill Masterton, also the right pick, I think, although it is kind of strange when discussing that award to compare people's hardships and personal personal tragedies. Uh, if you have anything to add on, on either one of those two before we talk about the, the more fun ones? Nope, I got nothing else to add. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll start with, I guess, one that I was... Pleasantly surprised with the winner when Bruce Cassidy won the Jack Adams Trophy, beating out two undeserving slash, you know, not great people, in my humble opinion, John Tortorella and Alan Vigneault. Uh, Tortorella, I've never been a fan. Vigneault, I had been a fan in the past, but he's kind of, you know, shown his ass quite a, quite a few times in these playoffs. So I'm glad Cassidy won. And Cassidy was also my pick to, to win, I think, unless it was Jared Bednar. Either one of those would have been good picks, but Bednar wasn't a finalist. So Cassidy, Preston's Trophy, Jack Adams uh, had a great year with Boston. Good job for him. Yeah, I mean, Cassidy, uh, in terms of finalists, he beat a couple of whiny boohoo babies uh, in Vigneault and Tortorella. And so, yeah, uh, I wouldn't be happy if I saw those two win at this point. Uh, you know, yeah. So Cassidy, I mean, what do you? What more do I need to say? Uh, what more do I need to add on? You know, just he coached a team that made it to the cup final last year. Uh, and he matters the he coached them back into the President's Trophy, uh, best team in the league by far in terms of the regular season. Uh, they were just rolling, they were just fucking rolling, and on a roster where you know you looked at I looked at them before the season started and being like you know where's like there's obviously that that first line, but aside from that the depth isn't really there. Uh, I thought anyways, but Cassidy managed to coach that team and into a comfortable 
comfortable lead uh, for uh, for that President's Trophy and should have been the first seed as well, uh, I might add. And uh, so, yeah, deserving deserving winners, right, for, for Bruce Cassidy. And it's nice to see, you know, the, the voters buck the trend of, you know, the Jack Adams goes to the team that surprises and like, oh, you did well this year? All right, let's give it to the coach. Uh, and instead, they gave it to the President's Cup winner, uh, President's Trophy winner, I should say. And that's... That's a nice, it's a nice twist. It's a nice twist, and I appreciate it. So, congrats to Cassidy. I think he's absolutely deserving winner. The Selkie Trophy. My prediction came came true for that one as well. Sean Couturier won his first one, beating out Bergeron and O'Reilly. Uh, I've talked about this a couple times before. This is the Reputation Award, and Couturier has been building his reputation for the last couple seasons, final amounting to this his first victory. Now he's probably gonna be a finalist for the next couple seasons before he can win his second one again, whilst Anthony Sorelli builds up his reputation in a similar fashion and wins his first Selkie in two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. I was just about to say, you can already see the buildup uh, this year. Like, you can can see the winners years in advance for this trophy. Like, Sorelli, as you said, finals this year, and he's gonna, you know, you already know, he's he's doing it. Uh, he's, He's making his way to his own Selkie. Uh, the next couple of years, and uh, yeah, I mean, Couture, I think, was the expected result here. I mean, he just seemed like it was his time uh, in terms of reputation. Uh, this was the year, he had a fantastic year, and yeah, it was his turn to win the Selkie. I mean, I, I don't know what other analysis there is to add. Uh, Philip Dano, I think, was like sixth, fourth? I don't remember which was. I think it was fourth. Uh, I don't think it was quite that high. Was he? Okay, it was like surprisingly. I think it might have been though. One sec, let me pull this up real quick. Uh, Selking Vody twenty twenty. Um, hmm. Uh, please excuse this dead air. Uh, let me just look up Phil Dano. And let's see. Anyways, I don't. Uh, I think it's six actually. Yeah, he's six. So just out of the top five, and I mean, sure. Two or four and five. Oh, hold up. Uh, I need to pull up that link again. So fourth oh. <laughs> and fifth. Uh, I'm just waiting for the tweet to load. Okay, so Sorelli was fourth, uh, and yeah. Mark Stone fifth. So oh, right, okay, yeah. And then Mark Stone yeah, should, and then, should should have won this award last year, but whatever. Yeah, and and then there's a huge drop off after Dano to like Anzi Kopitar got some third place votes, uh, and now he plays in seventh. So uh, and talk about reputation there too, uh, and. Yeah. I mean, Philip Dunno, uh I mean, our, look, trade rumors, I think we talked about them last week. Uh, do you really want to trade a guy who finished sixth in the Selkie? Uh, I mean, if you I can really not. get the right return, uh, I don't want to trade him. But if you, yeah, the only reason I would I would see him traded is if you really get that return. But damn, he's a good third-line center who, if the youngsters do kind of falter down the stretch, uh, you put him on your first line and you have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, anyways, that was a bit of a half a tangent there. But yep. yeah, Selkie de Couturier expected, and yeah, that Sorelli is going to win it next year or the year after. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I don't know. Well, Sorelli won't win yet because he hasn't even been a finalist yet. It's at least two more years until he, until he could possibly yeah. win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, talking about Dano, I guess for a second, like thinking about it more over the past week, I really don't want them to trade him. I want them to extend him, and honestly, I think signing if you have to choose between Dano and Gallagher, who to keep. Man, that's a much tougher choice than I originally thought. Like, oh, Gallagher for sure. But I don't know. The more I think about it, like, eh, I don't know. Dano's super good and super important. And, you know, not just center versus winger, but really good 
defensive center. But I mean, you know, Dano, if he doesn't want to just be a third liner, then he might end up walking anyway if they don't trade him. Anyway, Lady Bing trophy. Uh, I think this year it's safe to say more than the Lady Bing has ever been talked about. Nathan McKinnon beat out the guy who mooned a security guard last summer and the guy who drove into a Tim Hortons a couple of years ago for the gentlemanly <laughs> award. Uh, yeah, I think it was Jashbina Schla on Twitter who said, who uh, added, I uh, can't think of the, the right, tagged all the people who gave Matthews a first place vote asking for an explanation. Like, why did you give this guy who mooned a security guard like basically this season, the a first place vote for the gentlemanly award, and there was only one who replied, at least that I saw. Um, I don't remember his name. I'm gonna look for it. He basically said, uh, "Thanks for holding us accountable." I got too focused in on on statistics, on penalty minutes, and I lost track of the bigger picture. And it was like, "Wow, thanks for for." you know, replying and being understanding. So this is probably just an instance of people just not thinking hard enough and just looking at penalty minutes. But like, you have to think of that. And like the fact that so many people didn't even think of that probably just shows that like, it doesn't matter to them and it should. Oh yeah, it really, it's apparent that they didn't put it in the homework, uh, probably sent in their pick as they were writing articles. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, Look, it's just a complete farce if you have, you know, the, the two guys that you mentioned, you know, it's just really Matthews. It, as you said, it's been like, it was, I think it was part of like this, it was just this last offseason, right? And the news broke during this season. Uh, and so, you know, it's just really, you didn't think about that. You really forgot about it. And if you didn't realize it, I mean, come on, you got to dig a bit deeper, uh, especially considering that it was this season. I mean, it's kind of absurd. But uh, yeah, it's the, it's the Lady Bang. I mean, who really, who really gives a shit is, is, you know, the thing. And, uh, I mean, but you don't, even if nobody cares, you don't want to see that kind of shit happen in terms of Matthews getting on the, getting a finalist nod. But, uh, in terms of winners, sure. Nathan McKinnon's real good. And I'm sure he doesn't take many penalties. So, I uh, mean, congrats to him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. The fact that we do care this much about the lady being is probably a bad sign to begin with. And the last award that's been awarded so far Jim Gregory, general manager of the year award voted on (laughs) now after the conclusion of the second round. And I think ever since that new rule has been put in place, it is always three of the four conference finalists. And instead of, instead of, you know, voting for the guy who acquired Robin Leonard and Nick cousins at the trade deadline and the guy who, I don't know, what else did he do this year? I guess not much, but Robin Leonard and, and Alec Martinez, that's the other big one, made three very good trade line moves. That's the one of the four conference final GMs left out of the top three. We've got, number one, the guy who traded two first-round picks and Nolan Foote for some third liners. And I know the third liners have been great, and that without those deals, Tampa might not you know be in such a great position. I know that. Still an overpayment. Julian Brisebois. We've also got Jim Neal of the Dallas Stars who signed Pavelski a year ago and uh, did nothing else. And we have the winner who traded a first and second round pick for Jean-Gabriel Pajot and currently has $18 million locked up in healthy scratches. Lou Lamorello, the winner of the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award, the voted to be better at his job than everyone else 
in the league, better than Joe Sackick, who should have won this award, no question, after acquiring an entire second line last offseason, Kadri Donskoy-Burakovsky. He should have been the winner for sure. And if Colorado scored in that overtime against Dallas, I bet he would be the winner. But instead, he's not even a finalist. I mean, I'm just laughing this whole time because it's complete fucking farce. I mean, it's just... What a clown show in terms of awards. Uh, this was just the first of all. I mean, look, look, the recency bias on this thing is just incredible. It's incredible. They don't even try to hide it, do they? Now it's just like they vote at the end of the second round, and yeah, as you said, three of the four, three of the four conference finalists. Let's go. Uh, we're just yeah, we're talk about lazy. I mean, just absolutely incredible. And yeah, let's get into these pedigrees. Because what the hell has Lou Lerarello done this year that so that we can point to his old ass and say this? This is the best general manager in the NHL this year. Uh, I mean, he hasn't done shit. Uh, as you said, uh, for John gave him too much money. Uh, I mean, what? Andy Green. A third, Andy Green, of course. Another overpaid. Paid a second round and yeah, I was just about to say, overpaid a 32-year-old goaltender for four years uh, in Semyon Varlamov. Is that the man you want to point at uh, and look at and say, yes, this, this is the pinnacle of managing a hockey team? Uh, it's completely absurd. I mean, no. Not only, uh, and, not only did he sign yeah. oh, Sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Okay. What I was going to say, not only did he sign Varlamov, but he had the choice between Varlamov and Leonard. I think Leonard wanted to stay, and I think, like, he basically... He could have given Leonard the co- the exact contract he gave to, Var- gave to Varlamov, and Leonard would have been like, fantastic, I'm staying here, but he picked Varlamov instead. And Broussard, also, that's the last one. Uh, Derek Broussard signed him signed him on the cheap, uh, and I'd say that's the objectively best of those those four moves. Yeah, and that's... Oof, that's that's a low bar. And, uh, I mean, my theory coming into this was, you know, uh, they couldn't give Barry Trotz his second Jack Adams in a row. So they looked up uh, the chain and they saw uh, Lou Amarillo and they're like, oh, well, he hired Barry Trotz. And so let's just give it to him. Uh, and, uh, I mean, like, seriously, though, come on now. This is a complete farce. And, yeah, you talk about, you know, other potential winners. Uh, yeah, Joe Sackick. Probably wins absolutely if he, if 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 uh, Colorado wins that second round and yeah th- I mean that's how it should be evaluated right look at your actual transactions uh, and how did those work out for you in the past twelve months or even beyond if you want to look into the past two seasons and how they've affected this current iteration of the team but you know other potential winners yeah you keep talking about Laner uh, and the guy who ended up nailing the whole Laner situation was Kelly McCrimmon uh, and pulled off an absolute epic steal. Uh, to get him, and then not only get him, but then beat his old team in the playoffs with him mm-hmm. uh, as the starter. I mean, yeah, uh, out of these three, I mean, if you, if because he didn't make it to the third round, we eliminate Joe Sackick, uh, Lamarell is not even the best finalist. Uh, just, we should have given yep. it to Vegas. Look at, look at how that team is built. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just funny to me at this point because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> They they really gave the they really gave the GM award to Lou Lamorello this year. Uh, is there anything more hockey than that? Is there anything more hockey than that? So uh, back to what I said before about the Lady Bing. It was actually I want to correct myself. Melissa Geshwind who tagged the twenty one voters who picked Austin Matthews number one, 
and the first one who responded that I was referencing was Scott Powers, who said, I do regret voting for him. Didn't put enough thought into the vote. Got caught up looking at penalty minutes and missed the big picture. I shouldn't have voted for him. Thank you for replying. And Kristen Shilton replied. Uh, I haven't looked at these. Looking at the names who, who answered to it. Mike DeFabo, George Richards, Nick Evans. Oh, wait. Uh, was was Nick Evans uh, a voter or just some rando? I, I can't tell. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't think they've all replied. I haven't heard of most of these people. But uh, a couple of them did. So you can look at that thread. Melissa, Melissa Geshwind tagged below the 21 at the PHWA voters. If you want to Twitter search that and look at that later on, then uh, then you should be able to find it pretty easily. Yeah, on that note, it was... Uh, I think it was only like a couple of years ago where the NHL decided to uh, make public the voters. And uh, I mean, good decision uh, on that part because, you know, I uh, can't have a bunch of clowns uh, voting for other clowns to win awards uh, and then remain anonymous. Uh, yep. You know, and now that we, you call these people out and then they think twice next time uh, about, you know, voting for a guy who mooned a security guard within the last like 15 months. Anyways, so okay. if MSN.com yeah. is to be trusted, the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award winner will be announced today. The winner will be. And we don't even know who the finalists are at this point. So it's really just uh, 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 up in the air. And then in terms of the Calder, the Hart, the Norris, the Ted Lindsay, and the Vesna, it says these will be announced during the Stanley Cup Finals. So I guess this is the last day in this little run with an award. And then the big five will be whenever the final starts. Okay, awesome. We'll have uh, loads to talk about then, then. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, does that, can we move to our prospect profiles of the week now? Fantastic. I would love to move to the prospect profile. This week, we are talking about two players who I think a while ago we actually said we wanted to talk about and compare side by side. It's the slam dunk best two defensemen in the draft. Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson, a couple of J names. They are leagues ahead of the next best defenseman, whether you want to say it's Gooley or Schneider or William Wallander. Uh, Drysdale and Sanderson will be the first two defensemen off the board, no question. And they will definitely both be gone in the top 10 as well. Drysdale is number four on Bob's list. He, and it seems like a, like a pretty, you know, it seems like pretty much everyone has him fourth because he was ranked fourth by eight out of 10 scouts, which is a lot. So if you're looking at who Detroit might be looking at number four, uh, that's a pretty reasonable bet to make. Jake Sanderson, meanwhile, was ranked eighth. But what is notable is that he was ranked third on two out of 10 lists. And, Never lower than 11th, which may- makes sense. The 11th would be the, the floor for Jake Sanderson there. A couple background info on them. Drysdale, born April 18th, 2002 in Toronto. Right defense, 5'11", 170 pounds. Meanwhile, Jake Sanderson, born July 8th, 2002 in Whitefish, Montana, a city I had never heard of. Left defense, 6'1", 185. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's, let's start with, uh, well, we can start with Drysdale. Okay. Higher ranked of the two. Okay. So I, I'll talk first then, uh, kind of feels like a broken record at this point to say great skater, amazing skater, because you would hope that everyone drafted in the top 10 as a, as a very strong skater, but Drysdale even seems to stand out from the bunch. He's really like, a an Eric Carlson style, I guess you could say puck rusher, power play quarterback, his entire team's offense can totally run through him. 
uh, he might be the next in line in this this amazing generation of young defensemen everyone's been lauding recently. Kale McCarr, Haskinen, Darlene, Hughes. And of those four, I think his closest comp- comparable probably is Quinn Hughes. Drysdale will probably take like at least another year in junior to get stronger and improve defensively. But he, he already does have like very good defensive tools in terms of causing turnovers, defensive reads, positioning, things like that. But like getting stronger, as everyone likes to say, to win more, you know, battles will do wonders to help him become like a, a franchise level defenseman. Yeah, and franchise level is absolutely uh, the ceiling on this guy. Uh, and yeah, you talk about he's got all the the skills. He's got yeah, the skating is really what's exceptional about him, right? He's so good, and and he's got decent speed. And yeah, playmaker. And basically, yeah, you talk about, you know, comparisons to potentially Eric Carlson. Well, yeah, you talk about a guy who you want to lead your franchise, not only defensively, but yeah, as that quarterback of the power play, as the guy you can depend on to eat big minutes, but not just eat them, but excel in those big minutes. Uh, Drysdale absolutely has that ceiling to become a bona fide number one defenseman, just like all those other young defensemen that, you know, you that we, we, we can look at this uh, that, that are upcoming. And yeah, I mean, there's, you know, this guy still needs a bit of work. Uh, And so I don't see him jumping to the NHL immediately, as you said. And, but yeah, these are things like uh, maybe he needs to improve on his decision-making, but you put him in an organization uh, like an NHL organization that can really like oversee his development and focus on those weaknesses. And yeah, I think this guy absolutely uh, has the potential to become really something special. Uh, I still think, and, and I and I think about it, I, I think this for both defensemen really, uh, because this draft is so light on like top end defensemen. I think Drysdale may be a bit overrated in terms of like among the prospects, uh, among like the elite forward prospects, and you know like the top ten or even the top eight. Uh, I think he's probably like the sixth or seventh best prospect, but. He deserves to go, like, what, fourth or fifth, probably fourth, or even maybe third with Ottawa, uh, because he is uh, that, you know, that rare, it is a rare commodity this year. And, yeah, right-handed defenseman, franchise right-handed defenseman. That's the guy you want to take with your top five pick. And, I mean, a team like Ottawa, I mean, looking at potential landing spots, I mean, Ottawa's got the third and fifth pick, right? And maybe they don't want to go, uh, they, uh, you know, two forwards, and they want to draft the uh, draft positionally which you know maybe i wouldn't agree with too much but if they really do like drysdale uh, i think the smart move there i don't know I, I i might take him over stutzel because just i mean like there are so many elite forwards and personally i think the drop between drysdale and sanderson i think it's pretty substantial and so if ottawa really wants that defenseman i think they they have to take him with the third because i think if he drops to detroit detroit's taking them in a heartbeat uh and so yeah look it's it's Looking at that situation, it's it's unique because Ottawa has a third and fifth pick, uh, and I think if they do want Drysdale, I don't think he's falling to number five. Uh, I think that I disagree with you. I think no matter who's picking the top three, Lafreniere first and Byfield and Stutzla, one or the other, two and three, I think just looking at Bob's list, I think there's no way that isn't how it turns out. And Drysdale, I mean, going four or five, I don't think he falls past number five, but I wouldn't be willing to bet on him going either to Detroit or Ottawa, but I think he will go to one of those two. Number four, obviously, with where the Red Wings are, that's definitely a an option. 
But I mean, people look at the Red Wings in their pipeline, you know, trying to build it up. They're really their only position of strength right now is right defense. Moritz Sider, Antti Tuomisto, um, Philip Ronick who's already in the NHL. And like, obviously, you don't want to draft positionally, especially that high in the draft. But I mean, Sam Costantino has said Detroit might be really high on Cole Perfetti. And obviously, guys like Marco Rossi, Lucas Raymond will be available. So if you are thinking like, hmm, going back and forth a bit, who do we like better, Drysdale or this forward? Then that that uh you know organizational need might play a little bit of a role as like a tiebreaker but if he's still there for Ottawa at number 5 I'd be pretty surprised to see him fall past there especially because Ottawa doesn't really have any right shooting defenseman in the system besides Lassie Thompson and what you mentioned before with what did you mention before I was going to reference it I cannot remember <laughs> I don't, you, you said something something that was like I'm going to make a comment on that about oh about a defenseman being overvalued in this draft because there aren't as many high-end defensemen compared to forwards I don't think that really has an effect on Drysdale's ranking as much as it does Sanderson's ranking because there is such a drop-off from Sand. I think the drop-off is a lot bigger from Sanderson to the third best defenseman than from Drysdale to Sanderson and I think if, if Sanderson we're in a year like 2018 or next year, 2021, where there are so many good defensemen. I don't think Sanderson goes in the top 10 because I think he just, you know, blends in a lot more. But now he's like a novelty. It's like, wow, Drysdale will be off the board early. Look at this defenseman who's so much better than all the other defensemen. And I think that's the reason why he's shot up the rankings so much, maybe more than he should have. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to move to Sanderson now that we started really talking about him? Yeah, yeah. I just talked for for a minute, so you can start on Sanderson. All right. Okay, so Jake Sanderson, I mean, he's a fascinating prospect. So really his bread and butter, and I think we've talked about him briefly, uh, you know, over the course of the last months. Uh, He's just, he's elite in terms of in the defensive zone. Uh, He'll shut you down, especially in transition. This guy's a transition guy through and through. And so in that sense, I mean, uh, the NHL really is moving into – into focus in terms of gap control and all that. Uh, and, you know, the transition game becomes more and more important. And so, you know, teams will value that a lot. And, I mean, that's one of Sanderson's biggest assets. I mean, he's just so good defensively, uh, especially compared to his peers this year. Uh, it's just that's that's what makes him stand out. He's, you know, just keep saying it again, another prospect another prospect who has an, who's, who's an excellent skater. Uh, but, you know, I, I will admit, the more I look into Sanderson, I really do like like a lot of his tools that he has. Uh, you know, his decision making is there and, and all that. And yeah, as I said, the transition game is so important. But you know, I do have some real questions, uh, especially if you're taking him in the top ten. I know top fifteen. Uh, what like just a few months ago, a couple months ago, top fifteen was like where he was projected, and now he's really even still now he's really just shooting up the rankings. And now, yeah, you talk about top ten. Uh, I could see that happening. But do I like that? Uh, if I'm a if I'm a fan of a team taking in the top ten, frankly, the answer is no. Because uh, you know, talk, I'm talking about like uh, moving up the ranks of the light on D. I really think Sanderson. Yeah, you said it. He's been. I think he's absolutely gotten that positional boost because uh, the offensive upside there is really the big red flag. Uh, it's not bad. It's not terrible. I don't look at Jake Sanderson and go, "Oh, he's he's complete dead weight in the offensive zone." I mean, he's got skills, but the thing is, he doesn't have the skills. Uh, that I would love in a top 10 pick. And so this guy has a super high floor because of how good he is defensively in transition and all that. But, you know, does he take that step 
into, you know, franchise number one defenseman uh, when he doesn't have, you know, all the creativity you might like from a guy running your running your power play. Uh, that's what I'm wondering. Where is the NHL ceiling on Jake Sanderson? Yeah. Um, one of the main reasons why a few people like him better than Drysdale is that he's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades defenseman. Very good at everything. Not necessarily world-class at any specific thing like Drysdale is at skating and on offense. Specifically, Sanderson's defensive game is definitely more advanced than Drysdale's. And he does have the offensive tools, I think, to develop into... Not not quite that Haskin and McCarr Hughes Darlene tier, but like a notch below that, I think would be maybe his ceiling. But but it's it's by no means a sure thing that he gets to that level. But before I like really dug deep on these two players, I thought it was like totally outrageous to have Sanderson higher than Drysdale. Drysdale is the clear top defenseman in my mind still, but having Sanderson like on this same edge level isn't maybe quite as Crazy ridiculous as I thought initially. There's no way at all Sanderson drops past the Jets, who have the 10th pick, especially with their overall lack of defensemen now. And uh, Minnesota, if he's still there at 9, I would bet on them taking him, unless maybe Alexander Holt is still there. And this is really a wildcard player, and I could see him going as high as, like, 5, just based on, like, what we see with Bob's list, with people having him at number three. And, like, there's been very quiet rumblings that Ottawa seems to like him. Even, like, after um, Ottawa was de- de- decided to have the third and fifth pick, their uh, Twitter account was like, we're we talking about prospects. Jake Sanderson. And, like, I don't know. So people were like, no, 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 no. Don't take Jake Sanderson. Don't take Jake Sanderson at third or fifth overall. But, like, I mean, if Drysdale's gone at four and Ottawa's like, hmm, we still want that second defenseman. Sanderson's your guy then. And, like, people are saying, like, oh, maybe the Ducks will take him at six. Because the Ducks have a pretty thin defensive pipeline. And a lot they're pretty set forward pipeline. You know, Trevor Zegris, Maxim Contois, Sam Steele, Troy Terry. They have a lot of good pieces. And the Devils have three first-rounders and basically no defensive prospects besides Ty Smith. And it's like, are you going to want to take your chances with, like, Wallander or Braden Schneider in the 18th or 20th overall pick? Or do you want to take the sure thing, Jake Sanderson, 7th overall, and take some good forwards with your laters? later picks buffalo at eight minnesota nine winnipeg 10 these are all teams that i could envision heavily considering taking jake sanderson with their their high draft pick man i i don't know like i i i absolutely can envision them considering it i don't think it's a good idea uh you look at the like i i don't care how minnesota winnipeg maybe it's a good idea but top eight no 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 we've talked about the, the gap that we see in terms of talent between top eight and top nine, uh, like the top, like number eight and number nine, in terms of the prospects, we talked about it, especially when the Habs were slated to be in that draft slot before, you know, they, they beat the Penguins. Uh, and yeah, we're talking about hoping that a team, uh, you know, from one to eight really bites on Sanderson or really anybody else. But, you know, I mean, if you're the ninth team, who who is it? And yeah, it's Minnesota, right? Um mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be cheering for somebody to take Sanderson, right? Unless you, unless Minnesota is one of those teams that really likes him, because yeah, you talk about those top eight uh, and guys like you know Lucas Raymond, uh, Alexander Holtz, uh, you know even maybe Marco Rossi and Cole, Cole Perfetti, uh, guys that uh, they're they're markedly better in terms of ceiling uh, as as prospects than Jake Sanderson. And so yeah, those those are elite prospects, and I think I think they are a tier above Sanderson at this point. And so, yeah, maybe a team bites. Uh, Ottawa at number five would be frankly outrageous uh, to take him there. 
you know, if you really want him, trade down because number five is just too high for the guy. Uh, you're really drafting positionally at that point and you're passing up on people uh, that, you know, you shouldn't be passing up on. Uh, imagine taking Jake Sanderson over Marco Rossi. Uh, that's that's frankly outrageous. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Jake Sanderson, I agree with you in in the way that, yeah, he has warmed up to me the more I look into him uh, and his skill set. And yeah, top first round pick, uh, early first round pick maybe, but uh, he's warmed up to me. But still, mm-hmm. top 10, uh, I, I still think it's too high. And I really do have question marks uh, on his development offensively. I think that'll be the make or break for him in terms of will he just be a guy? Because that's his floor. His floor is a guy in the NHL. He's making the NHL almost for certain unless he gets derailed by injuries. Uh, So will he be a guy or will he be that franchise defenseman uh, on the first pair? Uh, That will depend solely on his development. And uh, and that's I'm I'm worried about that. Yeah, I I don't think he's going to. I think his floor is higher than a guy. I think this is a really good top four defenseman no matter what. Uh, and probably I pro- I would project maybe like a Ryan McDonough, Josh Morrissey level player. Maybe kind of like, I don't know, maybe uh, mm, I was going to say Morgan Riley, but that's not really accurate. I guess Morrissey McDonough maybe a little bit better than that, but that same style is what I envision more or less. And like, as you say, fifth overall to Ottawa or sixth to Anaheim would be a big surprise for me. When we get to New Jersey at seven, that's where I'm going to be starting to think, hmm, maybe Sanderson's going to be coming off the board any second now. Oh, seventh is, I still think it's high. I keep saying, yeah, you too. know, that the, I just, it's just a different tier. It's just such a different tier of just raw talent, raw talent. It's just, it's so different. Like it just, Sanderson has the talent. He's got, you know, he's great defensively, but it just, he doesn't have, you know, the wow factor. And when you're taking uh, a top eight pick and there are eight players with a wow factor, I don't think it's smart at all to pass on a guy with the wow, you know? Yeah. So this might be i have a little bit of a hunch the last profile where we talk about like super high-end you know top 10 level prospects because maybe from here on in we we only have like what three weeks of fusion episodes until the draft it's really starting to sneak up on us so we might focus a little more on players that will be available around where montreal's picking either in the first round or with their second round picks if uh if i haven't talked about this with you ty say yet but maybe you'd be on board yeah. Okay. That sounds good. And so, yeah, the draft really is kind of close, isn't it? What do we have? Do we have a date again? And you need to remind yeah, me. Yeah, it was one. moved up actually from Friday and Saturday, October 9th and tenth, to Tuesday and Wednesday, October sixth and seventh. So we're gonna have midweek draft. I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna have like a lot of content that week, like Stanley Cup Finals having just wrapped up. Uh, maybe like a draft preview, mock draft episode, a draft recap, or maybe we'll, I don't know, like a draft live stream. That'll be a little complicated. But, uh, and obviously free agency will be opening like three days after that. So it's going to be jam-packed even more than usual with the end of the season and the start of the off season. Yeah. Uh, talk, I mean, like from a marketing perspective, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Not only just jamming us so close to the season, uh, but also, yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday, really? Uh, that's where you want to draw in the most viewers? Uh, I mean, I have school. <laughs> the next day yeah. on both of those things. Uh, so, you know, I can't stay up too late uh, if I have to wake up, you know, early in the morning to catch a class. And so, uh, you know, Actually, I don't start on Wednesday. I don't, yeah. On Wednesday, I don't start till uh, till 1030. So that shouldn't be too much of a problem for me if it makes you feel any better. Okay, that's well, good. You'll, you'll, you'll bring the analysis. And actually, me neither. Uh, I think I've, yeah, Wednesday's, Wednesday's a good day. Uh, well, Tuesday night's a good day. But then Wednesday, like Thursday morning, I start early. So uh, well, that should be the afternoon, I think. Rounds two through seven. Okay. It's not really a nighttime thing. Yeah. So 
<laughs> in that case, uh, just for us two, it's a solid situation. Yeah. But for everybody else who, you know, especially the people who have to work nine to five and all that, uh, I mean, come on. Really? Tuesday and Wednesday? Or, yeah, Tuesday, is it Wednesday and Thursday? Tuesday and Wednesday, really? Is that what you... I don't know. Well, I Anyways. guess maybe now that maybe now that it isn't on the weekend, maybe they will do rounds two through seven at nighttime, because usually that's on a Saturday. So maybe they won't have it in the afternoon because it's on a weekday. I don't know. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see what the NHL decides. Uh, anyways, so that's I think that that wraps up for our draft profile. Um, yeah. Yep, that's it. And you this okay. week have a trivia for me. It's been three weeks. I think our last one was for our, our 50th episode, and you gave me, like, trivia about the short history of our show. So I'm excited to see what you have in store for this week because you seemed a little pretty excited about it earlier. All right. I think this is among one of my more interesting ideas for quizzes because, uh, okay, so the theme uh, is you have to name the arena, all right? But how will I give you the clue? I will give you the clue in the form of an atrocious two-line poem. All right, here we go. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Okay, but before you start, how many and what's our threshold? Okay, so I've got 10. I've got 10 questions. And uh, how comfortable do you feel with these? Um, are these all active NHL arenas? They are all active NHL arenas. Okay. Um, if you named, like, a city, I would be... Man, I don't know. I used to know these, but I think like the arena names are like constantly changing now. I'm probably gonna end up naming arenas that are like they haven't existed for five years. Man, I don't, I don't want to go below six for the threshold. I'll say I'll say six on ten. I think is fair. Okay, I'm telling you right now, there are hints that refer to the name within the clue. All right, so uh, okay. it's not okay. just I'm not just naming the city. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Are we ready? All right. So we're saying six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, here we go. Okay. These are fucking terrible poems, by the way. So, like, I'm, I'm giving wait. you a warning. All right. Here we go. All right. Located in the heart of downtown in the city, this hockey arena has the world's largest capacity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can you repeat the poem, please? Okay. Located in the heart of downtown in the city, this hockey arena has the world's largest capacity. All right. Uh, so, hmm. I know Chicago always beats Montreal for attendance, but I don't know if they actually technically have the largest capacity because they have, like, standing room that doesn't necessarily count. So I'm going to guess Bell Center. All right. Off to a good start. Uh, one for one. Because, yes, uh, with over 21,000, in terms of capacity, the Bell Center is the world's largest hockey arena. Uh, Half the city. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Next. Kappa City. That's right. Uh, my rhyming is just incredible. Next question. Come on down to the home of the beast. This arena is the most to the east. Wow. All right. Can you repeat the poem, please? Come on down to the home of the beast. This arena is the most to the east. All right. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Not only did you have that end rhyme of beast and east, but you also line up the O sound, home and most, on the, the same syllables. So so good work there. That little little double rhyme going on a little bit. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out, I'm sitting here trying to figure out if beast is a hint on what team it is or if it's just your rhyme for east. 
and I can't decide. But I also can't figure out what team would be the beast. Boston kind of comes to mind because, uh, you know, the letter B. There's also the Islanders. Not kind, not all the way brushed up on my geography, but I feel like Massachusetts is quite easterly. So I'm going to guess the TD Garden. All right. Two for two. Okay, you're yeah. getting these poems. Uh, beast, yeah, it was a reference to the Bruin. And so, yeah, there we go. TD Garden is the mo- the easternmost uh, arena in the NHL. Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, next one. All right, now we start to get funky. Because uh, Bell Center, TD Garden, pretty well known. Uh, yeah. This next one, here we go. Analytics people, pull out a spreadsheet. In this building, the wild are tough to beat. <laughs> okay, so this one... <laughs> The minute I like the little subtle jab at Paul Fenton there, by the way, who I think was was he hired or considered for the Panthers' assistant GM position? I don't know. I think yeah, I think he, his name was thrown out there. Uh, okay, okay. I don't, I don't think he was hired though. Not quite yet. Anyways, I I'm I'm confident that at least the Minnesota Arena used to be called this, and I don't think they've changed it. So I'm relatively confident in XL Energy Center. All right, three for three. And spreadsheet was my reference to Excel, by the way. Uh, not only my oh, boy, wow. Paul. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Wow, look at that. These are good. Double meanings and everything. Damn right. Okay. All right, next one. Uh, okay, I want the full name, by the way. I want the, the, the official name. Uh, and all right, here we go. This one this is what you should get. I think six or 10 is actually pretty low. I was thinking because of these hints, it should be higher. But hey, let's go. All right. Uh, you certainly won't say their rooftop is lame when you go to the home of the Calgary Flame. All right. This is one of like three arenas named after Scotiabank. Uh, the one in Toronto is the arena. I think the Ottawa one is the center. Unless they've like renamed. Oh, that's called like Canadian Tire Center now. Uh, Calgary... I think, and Vancouver and Edmonton are like Rogers Center and Rogers Place. So, like, we've really got like three companies with a monopoly on the seven Canadian arena names. But anyway, I'm fairly confident that the Calgary Flames play in the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Ayo, four for four. We're totally rolling. Uh, I'm doing better than I thought. Okay. All right. Next up. All right. While in California, go hug a redwood tree in this Western arena. The sharks you will see. Ooh, okay. People call it the Shark Tank, but that's not the official name. Uh, for some, for whatever reason, SAP comes to mind, and that reason is probably that it's in the name somewhere. Cause I probably I think what's happening is like I was I wasn't expecting to do well, but like I subconsciously whatever see the names of the arenas when I watch the teams play or something, or when I go on like the game sheets on the on NHL.com. For uh, man, I don't SAP Center. I don't know. I feel like this one's also called a Saddle Dome, whatever that is. I'm gonna guess SAP Saddle Dome. Okay, so this is your first wrong answer. Um, uh, you actually had it the first time, it was SAP Center. Um, oh, come on, because yeah, yeah, and yeah, in, in case you didn't catch it, SAP, uh, Go Hog a Redwood Tree was a reference to SAP, which is what SAP spells. Um, uh, okay, all right, okay, okay. <laughs> These are fucking terrible uh, in terms of poems. I love but them. I love them. They're kind of spicy. they kind of spicy. Okay. All right. All right. When you visit this building, home team's about to take care of business. They were defending cup champs last Christmas. 
last Christmas, as in December 2019, because that was the last Christmas. So, uh, I assume there's... Okay, so this is the blues because because you only used Christmas to rhyme with business, I assume. So, this past Christmas, I would have recommended that, even though it's one extra syllable, to for extra clarity. I hope I'm correct here. If not, I might be a little upset. But I think we're talking about the blues. I think we're talking about the blues arena. But unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of the arena where the St. Louis Blues play. This is where this is where I start to to lose my groove a little bit. Maybe I hope not. Uh, trying to picture. All right, Verizon Center is where Washington plays. Oh wait, is that's have they changed the name of that? I think they have, but I can't remember the new name. Uh, St. Louis. The word saddle dome is just constantly coming to mind now. What kind of saddle dome to the Blues play in? What kind of saddle dome? <laughs> All right. What is a saddle dome? Anyway, uh, St. Louis Blues play in. Ooh, I just thought of Enterprise. Do they play in the Enterprise Arena? Because Brodor, who works with the Blues, also has that that deal with Enterprise. Hmm. Maybe there's a little link going on there. It's the best I got. That's the best I got. So I'm gonna guess Enterprise Arena. Okay. Well, okay, you it, it, incorrect, but you did get the Enterprise right because it's the Enterprise Center. Um, okay, all right, and uh, it does, it does. It's the second time in a row where you missed the center, and uh, I mean, home team is about to take care of business. Uh, that's where the Enterprise reference is. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the fact that I have to explain all these jokes, I feel, is bad. But it's okay. Anyways, um, next one. So we're at, what, four for six. So you yes. need to go 50%. All right. Yeah. I'm in decent shape. Okay. Let's go to Denver's rink. Afterwards, you can go for a drink. Pepsi Center. All right. That was fast. You knew yeah. that one. All right. And I knew, as soon as you said a rink, I'm like, he's going to rhyme it with drink because I know it's the Pepsi Center. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, question number seven. Wheels up. Let's get on a plane. We'll go see the Dallas Stars game. Ooh, nice, nice plane. Okay, okay. I'm starting to get the hang of these, and I think this is was this is for the win, right? This would be my sixth correct answer, and I think it's the the American Airlines Center or Arena. Wait, I'm not locking in yet. Center or Arena. Uh, American Airlines. I don't think it's AAA. I'm gonna stick with Center. American Airlines Center. Wow, just like that. Uh, third time's the charm on these Center names, cause uh, that's the correct answer. Uh, Dallas plays the American Airlines Center. Um, yeah, good stuff. Six or ten. Uh, let's fun. see how you do on these last. All right. Yeah, last two. Last two. Let's see. This arena's the newest of the bunch. Let's go pick up some pizza for lunch. Uh, pizza. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Not the newest. Ar- oh, is it the? Is it newer than T-Mobile? The, the Detroit, the new Detroit arena. I'm not sure, but I know what it's called. The the Little Caesars. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Arena or place or center? Ooh, Little Caesars arena. For some reason, I feel like place is calling to me but i don't know why because little caesar's place welcome to little caesar's place where the red wings will be playing the blue jackets uh welcome to 
this game at the Little Caesars Arena. All right, I, I'm gonna think I'm gonna stick with Arena, Little Caesars Arena. All right, we got our seventh point. That's the correct answer. Uh, it actually it's newer than the Vegas one by a year. Eh? T-Mobile was built in 2016. This one opened in 2017. And wow. so, uh, yeah, Little Caesars Arena, pretty good. Seven out of ten. Uh, seven out uh, of is nine. Is it newer? Is it newer than the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle? Um, I mean, that's not a current arena just yet. That, that one's that one's brand new, so not quite. All right. Uh, last one. It's time to visit the Anaheim Ducks. Let's drive on down in our new Ridgeline truck. The Honda Center. Okay, here we go. Eight for ten. Shout out to wow. the new Honda Ridgeline truck. Uh, yeah, knocked this one out of the park, and I had a lot of fun writing these poems. Yeah, this was a good one. This was, Maybe I'll take inspiration and I'll have a poetry-themed quiz next week because I don't have an idea yet. Okay, awesome. So uh, that's the end of this quiz. And I think that's the end of the episode. Am I right? Yes, you are. That is it for this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, September 20th, where uh, will the conference finals be done by then? I think they quite possibly will be, or at very least will be very close to being done. And maybe we'll even have another Canadian's trade to talk about. Who knows? This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today.